This episode of Discovering Trek is dedicated to the loving memory of Dan's father-in-law, Doug Grindle, who passed away this week at the age of 70. Husband, father, Star Trek fan. We hope his loving memory comforts Dan and Sue in the days ahead, and may he rest in peace. This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Later on in the episode, we'll have a special discount offer code just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. A reunion, a pinky swear, and a very fragile alliance. Episode 5 of Star Trek Discovery pulled out all the stops and gave us another action-filled and emotionally charged episode which threw in a couple of old bleep moments that will be probably be talked about all season long. From my favorite clandestine organization and Dan's to the amazing return of a beloved character, which may or may not be the one we expected, this one truly had it all. I think it's time we jump right into the snake pit and break it all down. Sitting in for Dan Davidson, my name is Bill Smith, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome, everyone, to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. You know, we uh, we are without Dan this week, as we noted at the top of the show, due to a passing in his family. So uh, we uh, look forward to having him back soon and hope he and his family are, are taking the time to just uh, enjoy each other's company right now. But uh, for a couple of weeks, we've been thinking that at least one of these episodes of Discovery uh, episodes of Discovery would be um, a little different or be a little game-changing. And it looks like we were probably pretty right. This one was pretty amazing, and we're excited to talk about it with you today. As always, this is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis for the latest Discovery episode, entitled Saints of Imperfection. And of course, we're going to talk about it. And when I say we, I am obviously not doing this alone. It's best that I'm not left to my own devices in these things. You heard him here last week on Discovering Trek as our guest. He's the co-host of Politrex on the Tricorder Transmissions Network. And this week, he's my co-host here. He'll be hosting JLP Live on the Trek Geeks Network for us later this year. But for now, he's the lovely and talented Barry DeFord. Barry, thanks so much for filling in for me this week. I am very glad to be here and filling in for you again. And I am, as always, going to be your discount bill. I tried to be, I tried to be discount Dan, and I just wound up with a nosebleed. So it's better that I'm discount Bill for sure. Well, you know, he sets a high and lofty aspiration for us all to try and achieve, and I understand the nosebleed. I will never get there myself, but all we can do is slum it this week um, and hope that we get through unsupervised. <laughs> well, that is the problem: is we are unsupervised, as um, sadly our our. Um, Sorry, our guest, uh, Aaron Gallo, won't be able to make it due to due to an illness. So we're sorry to hear about that. But um, we may heckle you, Aaron, once or twice um, throughout the show, just so you know. That's a distinct possibility because we ourselves are saints of imperfection. We do hope you feel better, Aaron. We're going to bring him back in a, an episode later this season, which we'll uh, figure out uh, probably shortly after we record today. But um, for now, Barry, um, 
this episode seems to have a lot. There's the mycelial network. There's section 31. We got Ash Tyler. We got Giorgio. So perhaps you should tell our listeners how they can get in touch with us to give us their thoughts about Saints of Imperfection. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, hailing frequencies are open, Bill, here in our dimension or in the mycelial network. So on Twitter, we can be found at at Discovering Trek and on Ye Old Book of Faces, as Mr. Davidson would say, or you would say, I suppose, um, you can catch up to us at facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. In either place, you can become part of the discussion or leave us comments, questions, or maybe even your favorite uh, favorite moment from any of these episodes. Plus, you can also send us a voicemail by going to our website at trekgeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button. Please do remember, though, that any comments you leave might be used in a future episode of Discovering Trek. Back to you, Mr. Bill. Thank you, sir. Now, normally, we would have an exhaustive recap for this episode, but we're going to forego that this week to get right into the discussion. Trainees, to the briefing room. Barry, as we sit here in the briefing room and, and gather our thoughts, let's uh, let's get, you know, your, your sort of high-level thumbs up this and or sorry, thumbs up, thumbs down, and why for Saints of Imperfection. What did you think? Overall, I'm going to give it a thumbs up, but maybe not as emphatically as last episode. So I'm not sure if this isn't because last episode was one that was just for me so good, it's kind of hard to follow. But um, I guess there was just some story elements that I want to talk a little bit about that that's got me I'm not really concerned, but just sort of going, okay, let, we'll see. We'll see what they're going to do. I guess there's just a couple knots sticking out of the rug for me right now on that. So um, overall, though, I'm really happy to see a favorite character return. I loved the effects um, again, just that kind of mycelial side side dip was really, really cool. And the entire premise of the episode was also quite enjoyable. How about you? I have to agree with you. I, this one's it's a thumbs up for me. It's like you said, probably not as enthusiastically as, as last week, but if I break this episode down, I can almost divide it into a two thirds, one third ratio. Whereas the first two thirds, I'm kind of like, yeah, this is pretty good. And then the last third, I really needed a box of Kleenex the entire time because I was just that emotionally invested in it. You know, so if, if I could probably give a, a two thirds thumbs up to the first two thirds and then an emphatic thumbs up to the last third because I thought that they wrapped the story very well. Um, so far, I mean, we are now five for five on thumbs up pretty much this season. It's a, I think it, it's a good sign, especially coming into next week, which we'll talk about later. But uh, let's get into some discussion points and probably the the big reveal in this episode. I do want to say that last week in the predictions, I did call that essentially there would be the return of Hugh Culber this week. Um, I have finally gotten one right. I just want to throw it out there. <laughs> Applause for me celebration. There's going to be a parade later in downtown Boston, kind of like the Patriots, but um, I have finally gotten a prediction, right? So the return of Hugh Culber, um, everybody in the world knew it was coming. You know, there was the, the, the barrier gaze trope that fans complained about and the producers told us right away, no, it's not that trope. And then people were like, well, yeah, but you better bring him back. They said, don't worry, we're going to bring him back. And finally they've brought him back. So what do you think about this development, Barry? Well, again, yeah, I mean, we were all sort of expecting this to happen, and um, I don't want to necessarily toot my own horn too much, but last uh, year at 
STLV, we had the Night of Diversity party, and both uh, Wilson Cruz and Anthony Rapp and Anthony Rapp's partner showed up for that. And I got to spend a little bit of time with uh, those fine gentlemen um, and just had a chance to chat with them. And I could still just sort of see as, you know, actors and friends, the chemistry that those two guys had. And so getting them back on the same screen together is not only super satisfying, it's also exactly what should happen. And yeah, I mean, we knew we knew something like this was going to happen. The Mycelia Network has a lot more to it. Um, I also really like the fact that they bring up the Glen and why everyone was all twisted out of shape. I was wondering if that was just going to be sort of a, a dangling detail that would never return. But now it makes perfect sense. And it kind of gives you an idea of what the people on the Glen went through if they were like halfway in between getting like ripped to bits as it's like, as their ship basically sinks into the mycelial network. Like what a crazy thing. So to have Hugh come back and to get these continuities between the first and second season, I think is just a fantastic way to build continuity, build this story and kind of like a, a delightful souffle. It doesn't always rise immediately, but uh, I'd say it's rising now. You know, that's really a great analogy or, or, or perhaps it's a simile going back to Captain Pike, but um, <laughs> I couldn't resist that. I'm sorry. I, I do think it's a great callback to sort of tying that thread off and, and explaining why it happened that way. Regarding Hugh Culber, I do have to say that first, they really made him look like he was truly tortured for the time he was in the mycelial network. You know, you first see that character on screen sort of huddling by that bulkhead, and then you finally see his face. You're like, whoa. I thought that it was just a fantastic job by Wilson Cruz. I'm curious to see what this means for, you know, the, the portmanteau of Culmet's going forward. I, I have to think he's changed somehow uh, and, and perhaps, you know, uh, irreparably as a result of this experience. There is no doubt that we are going to see a different Hugh Culber. And that is a little bit sad because like he was so just earnest and honest and good, but you know, I mean, this will change him. And I think that's kind of an important thing to just sort of keep in mind as we move forward that, that I think this gives Wilson Cruz a chance to maybe revisit and reimagine the character to a degree. But yeah, I mean, you can't come back from basically hiding in an alien, not world, but dimension for that long and not have something that's going to affect you. And it, as we've seen kind of how Stamets has been affected by the mycelial network, I think Tilly will as well. And that sort of triumvirate of Tilly, Stamets, and Culber is going to be a really interesting variable as we move forward. And I think see the closing of the mycelial network but at the same time i think it's going to kind of echo throughout the rest of the seasons to come i suspect you're probably right about that let's move on to the dynamic between christopher pike and leland whether that's his first name or last name i don't really know but uh we'll go with captain for now um i thought it was interesting that these two were friends who knew each other and uh sort of the 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 rift that developed between them instantly with the threat um, not exactly what we're used to seeing in Star Trek, but I thought it was played very effectively. I think that this Pike and Leland dynamic is is pretty much the 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 un, what underscores the UFP and Section Thirty One. They work together, but they're always kind of giving each other that side eye. I, I wonder sometimes if this is if this is going to build a little bit more further and. I, I don't know. I've got a long range scan about uh, Leland that uh, I'm really excited to talk about. So without too much, I like their power dynamic. I like how they are definitely frenemies and that's going to add to the, add to the stories we go forward. 
Well, then let's move on to May and Tilly then. We don't want to take anything off your prediction for later <laughs> this season. Um, it, it was it was nice. I, I feel like this story has reached its natural conclusion. I doubt we'll see May again. I thought it was very effective in the way it was handled in this particular episode. We finally, instead of seeing uh, May as a manifestation in Tilly's head, we get to see them interact one-on-one. And then we get really explain the threat to her species in the mycelial network. I thought it was very Star Trek. I thought it was written exceptionally well. Um, and I, I thought that May did a great job of of demonstrating the the gravity of this situation, which I didn't really get in the previous appearances. Her childishness is really cool. She's got that sort of bizarre innocence like where she's like why have you stuck out your your tiny finger and, and all this sort of stuff she has these <laughs> moments where it's very clear that that the the character of sort of mycelial collection of spores or whatever she is is a younger version right and there's almost something i don't know for me it's it's kind of like a uh a, a fungal tinkerbell uh, is what I kind of saw her as. She she sort of she sort of has that innocence, but she also has a great deal of power. So there's a there's a hashtag for you, Bill. I was just writing it down. Hashtag <laughs> fungal tinkerbell. You always deliver, Barry. <laughs> I uh, I can't wait to see where we go further on in the episode. Um, I, I did think that you know this season. I think there's been in probably an overusage of Tilly as a comedic. Uh, element, at least her character. And I thought that they toned it back really well the last couple of episodes. And I thought that the humor she injected in these situations was appropriate for her, her character. What did you think? Finally, we're getting we're getting that measured version of Tilly that, that again, I think she's going to mature throughout the season. And, you know, the fact that she manifested a sort of random friend student from the past kind of thing to, to incorporate, or at least, you know, the, the fungus went into her brain and found that individual. I think that kind of says a little bit about Tilly's isolation as well. And I think that's going to be probably her bigger, her bigger challenge moving forward. Like when she was trapped, Burnham was running for her, her life to, to come and see how she's doing. Stamets is not giving up. He's fighting as hard as he possibly can to get her. But, I mean, really, who else does Tilly have a, a deeper sort of solid connection with? I think she's someone who makes very, very specific friends, keeps to herself for the most part. But I I really hope to see her branch out more. And I mean, this isn't really a long range scan more than it's just a hope. I really hope that by the end of this season, this entire series, she is a captain and maybe the captain of the Discovery. Interesting. I, I do like, you know, to, to fast forward to the end of the story to, to talk about Tilly a little bit. I do like the fact that the characters in Discovery don't develop amnesia either within the same episode or just in general. Uh, I, you know, because when, when Burnham comes back to their quarters and, and Tilly essentially, you know, cries on her shoulder for all intents and purposes, you know, this is an experience that is going to inform her for the rest of her life and the rest of her career as a Starfleet officer. I appreciate that it just didn't become, all right, well, back to exploring the galaxy, um, as happened so many times in other Star Trek. So I did really like that aspect. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's pivot a little bit and talk about the return of probably our, our favorite admiral so far. Uh, Admiral Cornwell, she who does not yet appear to be a bad moral. So far, she's bucking that trend. But I thought it was interesting that Leland was clearly taking orders from her on some level, which hasn't always happened with Section 31. 
I feel like she is bound to dabble in darkness from now on. And and I, it might be the connections that uh, she had to the Mirror Universe, of course, her revisiting Lorca, but not the real Lorca. Now she's working with a different Giorgio. And her capture when during the war with the Klingons, I, I think this has changed her ir- irreparably. And I think you're right in saying that characters here don't get amnesia. They don't forget these things. They wear their experiences and they react to it. The Cornwell we saw at the be, you know, at near the beginning of season one to the end is a very different individual. And her utilization of section 31, I think is going to lead possibly to maybe more of a bad moral esque sort of thing with Cornwell. Um, there's a lot of cold war connections with her. Like she really does kind of remind me of like a, like a Dulles or, uh, or, you know, not quite a Patton, but like, you know, there, there is that sort of element to her. Um, who is the, uh, who is the, the, the commander of, of, uh, Vietnam? Um, oh shoot. I'm forgetting his name all of a sudden, but he would, he would dabble in, in kind of a darkness every now and again to get what he needs. And so I really think that, that she is very much taking on sort of that cold war general kind of attitude. I think you're right about that. I think we saw that a bit last season with the end of the Klingon war mm-hmm. where she, she essentially, you know, sort of has to go along with the plan to ascend to you know, plant bombs inside of Kronos. Yeah. Um, and, and then ultimately is won over by the crew of the discovery by saying, no, this is, this is not who we are. We're Starfleet. We're better than this. Mm-hmm. I, I think she, I think she wears a white hat most of the time, but there are times where that white hat has the slightest tinge of gray to it because of the role that she's in. And I kind of like that texture to this character. Mm-hmm. And I think it's played really well by Jane Brooke. Um, I'm curious to see um, whether she returns this season and whether or not it's to play referee or to take some more serious action. Yeah. And, and the general I was thinking of was Westmoreland and Oh, uh, right, right. Yeah. Right. And you know, I mean, the ubiquity, it seems, of Section 31, I think, is important because, yeah, you're right. Section 31 is taking orders from Admiral Cornwell, which, again, we didn't, we don't see in in like Deep Space Nine in the future. It's not, uh, it's not like that. So I wonder if if we're going to see kind of a, a greater rift start to begin uh, and happen between Starfleet and Section 31 after this uh, after this event uh, finishes. Well, I think that almost has to happen. Uh, you know, uh, I think that. A lot of people in this time frame know about Section 31, and I feel like in order for it to be as in the shadows as it is in Deep Space Nine, something has to happen. Whether, you know, it's it's disbanded, like, you know, the IMF and Mission Impossible, you know, pick whatever movie you want, uh, because that seems to happen once a movie. And, you know, then they sort of work behind the scenes and not really in an official capacity. Whereas right now they seem really official. They've got their own deltas. They've got their own ships, for crying out loud. Um, you know, maybe something, maybe they make a mistake. You know, yeah. maybe they do something so poorly that it brings the galaxy to war. And as a result, 31 is disbanded. We don't know. But I, I think that there's plenty of room for the writers to work with, especially when it comes to the Section 31 series, which I can't wait for. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that is going to be amazing. And it's kind of neat to see the communicator um, Delta coming yes. in and debuting and, and seeing where that comes from. Again, I don't feel like they they hammered that one too hard it was just you know tyler just hits his communicator and it makes a similar noise and i'm like oh no it's like a he's communicating across galaxies or something or across star systems oh no 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 leland ship is right there so it all makes sense there too i really i really enjoyed that little piece and makes me want to get one of those badges now 
<laughs> I think that uh, there's going to be plenty of opportunity for that. There now, speaking of opportunities, Michael at some point is going to have an opportunity to spill the beans on Mirror Giorgio, um, because Pike wants to talk about it. Um, you know, uh, it's it, he clearly wants to have that conversation. He doesn't want to have to track her down to have it, but um, I feel like that's something she's got to tell him, right? Again, this is a long-range scan idea that I think Pike. Oh. Does, I think Pike does find out, and I think there will be consequences. And um, Giorgio is is amazing because, like, I have seen Michelle Yeoh play so many different types of characters, and of course, my first encounter with her was in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. This very stoic fighter who has a, a great sense of loyalty and duty, and I really felt like she channeled that with prime universe Giorgio I really do sort of see a a nice connection there and then um, after that when she becomes the empress she becomes this like completely different fascistic evil person that just makes me makes me makes me really excited to see how far she's willing to go to keep her power interesting I um I th- I'm I'm wondering now if I think I know what your your long range scan is possibly involving Pike. Mm-hmm. I've written myself a note. We'll come back to it later and see if that's really <laughs> what it is. Um, but let's talk about the search for Spock. And of course, I don't mean the third Star Trek film. I mean the one that's inherent to season two of Star Trek Discovery. Have they been teasing this for too long now? So here we are, five episodes in. We get little bits of it each week, and so far, nothing. Um, is it time for them to give us the carrot and not the stick? Well, at last last episode's diversion with Carol the Sphere was great, and I really enjoyed it. And it was good that we got that kind of little Star Trek side quest. And this one, again, I don't feel like it was a complete side quest. I think it was necessary to sort of push forward more of the mycelial network, introduce Section 31, and get Culber back. I think all of those things were great. But you're right. I think it's something needs. we need to get back into the prime storyline now, the main one. I'm good. Let's get back to finding Spock and figuring more about the Red Angel and and doing that sort of thing. Because I think last year on uh, on DSC, we we saw a very, very sort of straight-lined story that, that didn't divert all that much with the exception of going to the Mirror Universe, which I guess was a larger diversion in itself. But this one's sort of kind of, this year's sort of dipping up and down and back and forth. So yeah, I, 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 want, I want episode six to be we see Spock now and we get that story going forward. And one final thought, um, and this isn't on our, our outline at all, but I guess I have a question about Ash Tyler. Um, it appears now he's going to be uh, on board the discovery for the rest of the season. Um, is that going to pose a significant problem to the mission? Uh-huh. Yeah. Think? Oh yeah. 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 No, I think he, I think he is going to be a very, very negative variable when it comes to, Burnham and Spock meeting up. I think he's going to maybe sour things a little bit and provide a lot more confusion and conflict for Michael Burnham's character as she is now finally in a good place with Saru, anticipating the the meeting with Spock and now her her ex-partner slash betrayer slash all of these other things is now sitting on the ship with her. She's really got to swallow hard. And actually one of my favorite moments was this, that little, if you just see the little tiny twitch in Stamets's face, when he sees Ash come on the bridge, sure. It's all well and good that Culber is back, but I really don't think Stamets is over what Ash did or Ash Voke did. And I don't think 
he's going to care much. And again, that could be a really interesting dynamic watching Burnham, Stamets, maybe even Culber interact with, with Ash Tyler. I was just going to say, I can't wait for the first time that Culber and Tyler come face to face because that's, that's probably not going to be awkward at all. Right. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> just, um, yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it strikes me as being the kind of drama that I look forward to. I, uh, I, I honestly can't wait. I hope that's a scene that it's got to happen. I figure it has to happen. I hope it happens next week, but <laughs> I guess it's a, we'll see kind of thing, right? Well, Hugh Culber is a di- is going to be a bit of a different man, and I'm I'm a little concerned he's going to know the uh, the the old rule of of when you need to kill a chicken, it's three clicks and you know they're dead, and it'd be the same thing with Ash. So that would be that. <laughs> oh, too soon, too soon, too soon, too, too soon. <laughs> soon. <laughs> well, Barry, we've reached that moment of discovering Trek, where we take a moment to pause and reflect on those we've lost in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's the somber and more reserved part of our show, but we feel it's the least we can do for those who paid the ultimate price. And we like to call it the red shirt roll call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. Now, Barry, correct me if I'm wrong, but the list is, well, short this week in a word, but I think we're kind of sitting at negative one. You're absolutely right. However, this Culber, who we've gotten back, is powered by love and mushrooms. So I'm really excited that uh, that he has come back. And you know, we have the delightful Will. De- de- sorry, we have the delightful and talented Wilson Cruz back, and I- I'm really excited for that. So yeah, we I guess we do have to take um, Hugh Culber off of the red shirt roll call. But you know, I mean, this is unprecedented for Trek. No character has ever come back from the dead, right? So so yeah, never. It's a first. Never. Well, we love celebrating first and please don't send us mail. We know it's not the first, <laughs> but hashtag love and shrooms, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, we raise a glass of Synth Hall and toast the return of Calmets, you know, our favorite Star Trek couple in this week's red shirt roll call. This week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. And we are just thrilled to have them back for another season. Now available is the amazing Discovery Enterprise pin that was just released. It is bold, it is beautiful, and it is just the latest Star Trek pin available from Fansets. You'll have to check out their amazing lines of pins at Fansets. So do yourself a favor. Head over to their site, put a bunch of pins in your basket, maybe every pin, some pin accessories, all of those things into your shopping cart and checkout. Be sure to enter, though, before you do, this week's checkout code, snake pit that is s-n-a-k-e-p-i-t in all capital letters do this and you will get not five not ten but fifteen percent off of your entire order from fansets.com this code will be available to use until sunday february the 24th 2019 at eleven fifty nine p.m eastern standard time so don't delay don't delay at all fifteen percent that is awesome and of course, in addition to that beautiful new Enterprise, Barry, depicted at warp, I might add. Uh, do you remember the special TOS communicator pin that we started selling exclusively on the Trek Geeks website last month? I may or may not already have one. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly. Well, we are proud to announce that the next pin that will be available is going to be the TOS Delta Tricorder pin. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be available starting February 18th. And even better, it's going to be available on both trekgeeks.com slash pins and fansets.com. 
which we are just so excited and grateful to fan sets for this. Uh, for those of you that are interested in purchasing the communicator and tricorder pins, keep your eyes on your social media for a special discount code that we're going to be announcing soon. Fan sets. We are Star Trek. And as always, we thank Fansets for being the exclusive sponsor of Discovering Trek. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Well, Barry, Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times. And in this segment, we like to take a look at what this episode helps us discover about humanity, or maybe even what it tells us about ourselves. It's usually the segment I look forward to the most every week. It's certainly the most thought provoking. And uh, in the past, you have always delivered in the segment, I would like to add. And I suspect that today will be no different. Well, I liked it there. No, I'm kidding. There is going to be better. <laughs> this episode, I can't help but feel that push for the connection we have to those we love. Stamets got what so many of us don't get. He got his partner back. Uh, t- to be in love and to lose that love is a terrible fate. And it's something that I guess if you think about every couple that's out there, 50%, you know, the one of those two is is going to be the one to go first and the other one's going to be the one to stay behind. And that is a terrible thought. And it uh, it is something that comes down the pipe for a lot of us. And I feel like Stamets as a character handled that with bravery and dignity. But getting Culber back is not just for Stamets, I don't think. I think it's for us as the fans. Uh, I truly feel our fandom helped bring Hugh Culber back, even though it might have already been planned by the writers and all those things. I really feel like we hung on to that and we sort of stood beside Stamets a little bit, maybe vicariously encompassed a bit of that pain he felt. I guess, you know, the other element, though, is... And it's something I just can't ignore is the conceit we have as humans when it comes to authority, too. Pike really had to assert who he was in command with Section 31, Leland, Georgiou, Tyler, Cornwell. The structure of Starfleet as we know it is that of teamwork and egalitarianism, um, everybody doing their part. Section 31, I feel, much like the FBI, CIA, KGB, MI6, and others, sees itself almost sometimes as above the law. And it is in that I see the greatest threat to any society uh, around the world. Once a group within it is given such sweeping power, it shows its true colors. You know, I heard the statement once about loyalty, and I'm not inclined really to get much into that, but I think it rings true more for humanity than to assign it to a specific gender binary. But it's judge a person's true character, not when they have nothing, but when they have everything. And Section 31 seems to have it all, and it has all it wants. And needs it, it seems to need to do things to wield its power in a way that I f- almost feel is antithetical to Starfleet and the United Federation of Planets. So that is, um, I'm just worried that that what's going to end up happening here is we're going to see just how far that power level will go with Section 31 and how it is going to really challenge the precepts that we all understand with the UFP. So as usual, and as Bill, you said a a long time ago, I think in your Trek profiles that uh, Star Trek is a mirror to our own society. I think this is something that we also should look at when we give people sweeping power, what they do with it. Absolutely. So very well stated, Barry. Thanks. Um, Normally in this segment, I would, you know, wax poetic on what I felt Star Trek has taught me this week. But this week, although Dan isn't with us, he did record his thoughts on humanity in this episode. And he's asked me to include it for you all to hear. Hey, everybody. 
Uh, sorry, I can't be with you here this week uh, to discuss this week's episode of Discovering Trek. Uh, I want to thank everybody who has uh, dropped messages of support and condolences to myself and my wife. It's truly appreciated. Um, I wanted to submit my um, discussion about humanity this week because I wrote this piece before everything with the passing of my father-in-law, and I really think it holds uh, a very special meaning uh, based on everything that's happened this week. So thank you, Bill, for, for um, giving this um, to everyone to listen to this week. Death. It's inevitable. We talk about it every week in the red shirt roll call. We deal with it in real life. I'm dealing with it right now as we record this week. It sucks, but it's the one constant in the universe. I've been lucky in my life. The number of people I've lost over the years is very small compared to others I've talked to. I remember when I lost my grandfather when I was a young kid that I would dream about him being able to see him again and hang out with him. It was one of those things that I think kids always do. And as I've grown grown older, I've seen Facebook posts from friends who have lost parents or other loved ones, and it's something that even adults do. Just to have another moment with a loved one, to hold their hand, to have one more hug, to say the things that you wanted to say when they were alive. Reality doesn't always allow for that to happen, but science fiction does. Oh, how overjoyed I am that Stamets and Culber have that second chance at life together. It's one of those joys about sci-fi writing. There can actually be life after death, and they now will have the opportunity to say and do the things that Stamets thought was gone forever. But again, it isn't reality. So if you have someone you love who may not be able to be with you much longer, spend time with them. Tell them you love them. Thank them for everything that they have shared with you in their life and be there for them. And once they've gone to that great beyond, always keep them in your heart and rest in peace, Doug. Thanks, everybody, and I'll see you next week. Well, there's no way to really follow that up. Um, and we just reiterate that our thoughts are with Dan and Sue this week as they uh, they spend time with family. Um but uh, I think what we're going to do now, Barry, is move on to some Starfleet commendations. Commendations, palm leaf of Axanar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, Frenteris Ribbon of Commendation. Now we're going to talk about what we really enjoyed about this episode. Two or three things really quickly, things that were real highlights. Uh, what do you really want to call out? I, again, want to call out the special effects. I loved that almost Titanic-like sinking image of the Discovery going into the mycelial network and all of those like pings and pong noises and, and just the sound of the ship stressing to, to try to keep together between two separate dimensions. I, I really, really love that visual. So once again, um, it's it's always a, a joy. I guess maybe this is the uh, the inner crower magpie in me. I just like to see shiny things. And, uh, <laughs> and, and boy, they keep bringing the shiny. So that was really good. I mean, the other piece of that, obviously, is the return of Wilson Cruz to regularly scheduled programming of Discovery. That is a, a massive commendation. I think Wilson Cruz is a talent um, beyond compare. And to have him back, to be able to play off um, uh, Anthony Rapp, I think is just going to be a fantastic addition to this story as it moves forward. So more than anything, my my Starfleet commendations goes again to 
to the the crew who do the special effects and then the crew who who bring us this uh, this lovely show every week outstanding i have three myself this week first off i feel like i have to call out a special commendation for kirsten Beyer. um she wrote a fantastic episode that that really just conveyed a lot of emotion and heart and really some essential star star trek while we were at it um i thought it was just a fantastic job i really liked the episode she wrote last year uh the saru centric episode um, uh, series Pacum Parabellum, and I really enjoyed this one too. So that's my first combination. My second one has to be for Wilson Cruz, or should I say, series regular Wilson Cruz, since his name is now in the opening credits. Very excited to have that back, and and very excited to see where this goes for for Culver and Stamets. I know that it's just not going to be just happiness and love. Granted, that'll be there, but I feel like they're going to have some real challenges to work through. And I think that's really the part I'm looking forward to seeing next. And then lastly, like you, Barry, I got to take my hat off to the visual effects team. You know, Discovery is, has always raised the bar as far as visual effects for Star Trek on television. And this episode, I think, has kicked it up even higher. That sort of half in, half out effect, you know, especially on the bridge when you see the wave coming by, everything just looked brilliant. And, um, it just, it really, it looked theatrical, you know, it looked like I, I should be watching this in a movie theater. That's how good it was. So those are my commendations for this week. Long range scan of planet complete. Looking forward. Now we get to look at long range scans. This is the part that is just so much fun. <laughs> is it ever? <laughs> is it ever? We're going to talk about what's next for discovery. Maybe next episode, uh, later in the season, maybe later on down the line in the series. Um, I'm curious to hear what you think could happen next, Barry, knowing that I was right last week. Uh, did I mention that? Did I mention I was right last week? No, no, no. You were right. What were you right about? Uh, uh, something small. Something, so, something, something, something Star Trek. Yeah. Something, something, something Hugh Culber. Oh, maybe? yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, what you, do you know got what? for us? First of all, everyone gets one, and I'm glad you finally got your one. And um, now that it's happened and it's passed, now you get the uh, that that sort of anticlimactic realization that you may never be right again. <laughs> that's my Thank first. You. That's my first long range scan. My second long range scan is a very long range scan, and the point here is, I think Pike gets gets like I think there's a job, a whack job done on him by by Section Thirty One. I think they they burn his his poor beautiful face and blame it on kirk and all of that sort of stuff so i really hope that there's going to be a connection there but i guess closer to it the the big long range scan i i would say is spock's going to come back next episode he is going to really drop a bomb on the crew because i think a lot of people have a lot of different intentions with him right we've got ash has intentions from section 31 pike has intentions as his co um we've got burnham and her intentions as a sister and just just what spock really wants to get out of this whole crisis that that is forming under the red angel so I think more than anything, we are going to see another very busy episode. And um, yeah, I, I enjoy the busyness, to be to be perfectly honest. So yeah, long range scan, just coming up the pipe. We're going to be looking at, at Spock returning and then down the pike, as we said last week. Horrible, oh. radi- horrible radiation burns, and it's Section 31's fault. I just want to point out earlier in the episode, I mentioned that I wrote down what I thought one of your predictions would be. And so here it is. I'm showing to Barry on the camera. 
Pike injury, section 31, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so, a really good drawing of Sailor Moon you did next to it. Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. I don't even, I don't even know what that is. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Have we telegraphed how old I am at this point? <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Probably. Perhaps. Yeah. We were talking about Jello earlier, and and it was it was different when in your time because it used to tell people to recycle metal for the war effort. So, you know. <laughs> Come on, it's not like I'm as old as Dan. Come no, on. no, 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 no. Well, um, Barry, those are some solid predictions. Knowing that uh, that I am the champion of predictions this week. And that uh, that I can do no wrong. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that this season, I think Ash Tyler is going to die. I think that he's going to have to. And I think that Michael Burnham is going to have to be the one that kills him. Um, I don't know the context as to why, but I think she's going to be forced into that decision, perhaps to save Spock. But I think that Ash Tyler is not going to see the light of day in a Section 31 series as much as I would love to see Shazad Latif in that series because I love Shazad Latif. But uh, that's my prediction. I think Ash Tyler isn't going to be around much past season two of Star Trek Discovery. What do you think? I never even thought about that, but you know what? I think, yeah, we may be raising a glass of Synthahol to him before the end of this series. And yeah, I think there's a lot there in terms of what Burnham feels about him. And um, yeah, I mean... I don't think Culber or Stamets would necessarily be too concerned about that, but uh, I don't know that that said that could also do a lot for the Klingon connection, right? Like he's sort of that bridge. And if he goes, maybe that's how the bridge breaks. And then we end up with our next encounter at Aaron, with Aaron of mercy. So, Hmm. Oh boy. Mm. Good one. That's uh well, this one may take a little bit of time to bear out, but uh, I'm pretty confident or perhaps cocky. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> it's a it's a solution of the bo- of the two, right? It really is. Well, Barry, that brings us to the end of this particular episode of Discovering Trek. It sounds like uh, though next week, um, I'm pretty sure you saw the previews, and it looks uh, pretty epic, uh, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I'm again, like I said, this, this is going to be another very busy episode. So buckle up and make sure you're ready to, to take in it all. I've had to watch these episodes twice, um, pretty much all the way across just because I miss stuff. Cause I'm busy reacting to what has just happened that I've got to rewatch and, and catch the dialogue again and all that sort of stuff. So I'm really excited for it. Next week, we'll consider episode six of Discovery, entitled The Sound of Thunder. Joining us to examine this very Saru-centric episode will be our great friend and Discovering Trek producer, Casey Shasky. Until then, remember that you can descri- you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by heading to discoveringtrek.com. Plus, you can now support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks network of podcasts by subscribing to bonus content, uh, via Patreon. Get access to Bill and Dan's exclusive carpool conversations, see the first of our annual supporters pins, and check out our exclusive Pod Fleet t-shirt along with so many other perks. And uh, of course, speaking of Patreon, I would really like to take a moment to thank the following amazing producers of Discovering Trek. We're so grateful to them for their support. Uh, and of course, um, every week they just uh, they are fantastic people to us. And uh, they are, those individuals are these. Ken Tripp, the aforementioned Casey Shafsky, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchand, Craig Ewing, Sean O'Halloran, Chris Trebuzio, Eric Extreme, Norman Lau, Mike Bovia, and Patrick Esquidero. 
And if you want to become a producer of Discovering Trek or even get access to the raw audio for Discovering Trek episodes, head over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks. Well, Barry, thank you so much for sitting in uh, this week for me. Um, if I had to rate you on a scale, you you probably were about uh, you know one and a half times better than I normally am. So uh, kudos to you there. Um, I'm not I'm not comfortable in that seat when I go back to it because I know you could be nipping at my heels anytime. Well, um, it's good that you're not comfortable going back into that seat because I may have sabotaged it. So um, <laughs> definitely. Or as Kirk would say, sabotage. Sabotage. <laughs> Barry, where can people find you online? Well, you can find me at B-J-O-R-N-D-E-F-J-O-R-D on the Twitters. That's Bjorn de Fjord. Um, BDEF is also a really quick way to find me there. And you can find me via Politrex at Politrex on Twitter as well. And that way on Facebook too. And JLP pod on Twitter is where I'm going to be doing posting in anticipation for JLP live with the trick geeks, which I'm very excited to be doing. So yeah, the, that will sort of ramp up in crescendo over time as we start getting closer to the drop date for the new Picard series. Awesome. Thank you so much, my friend. Well, folks, that's it for us and our discussion of Saints of Imperfection. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter to let us know what you thought about the episode and about Discovering Trek as well. It's uh, great to welcome an old friend back to Discovery, and it was great to welcome another old friend in Barry back to Discovering Trek this week. We thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to talk about this amazing new chapter in the Star Trek universe with us, and we look forward to sitting down with you again next week. Until then, here are some words of wisdom from Admiral James T. Kirk in Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. How we deal with death is at least as important as how we deal with life. And until next week, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks, executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com. <laughs>